0: morning. Turn with me your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6, be in verses 13 through 20. In many ways, Certainly, every week we could say that this is a continuation from what we studied last week. But in many ways, this is um, the third point of last week's sermon. Um, last week's sermon was 58 minutes, and so I think that you would appreciate you you would have appreciated that we not tack on another 30 or so to that. So um, we broke it into <clears throat> into uh, two sermons. But this goes along with what we saw last week in verses 9 through 12. Um, after we had received um, an alarming warning, um, many have referred to it as the most severe warning of the New Testament. Um, you know, last week the uh, the author of Hebrews gave us a um, he he accomplished what he desired to do he told his readers <clears throat> that we want to move beyond elementary things and consider uh some of the deeper things of god and he and i know that he got our attention i mean i spoke with many of you who <clears throat> who said lunch conversations were a little different they were more theological in nature we were trying to uh to consider some of the um uh some uh, uh more uh, of the uh, deeper aspects of the gospel. And I know in our elder discussion, uh, in our sermon review, we talked about some of those things as well. And so um, uh, the author accomplished his task. He, he got our attention in the sermon. Um, but we left off in 9 and tw- through 12 last week with the author desiring to assure the readers and hearers of better things for them, things that belong to salvation And he pointed out the evidences of grace in them and exhorted them to to build on those graces and to continue, to keep going, to have the full assurance of hope to the end. To not be sluggish, but to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises that we've learned about thus far in the book of Hebrews. And so... This is important for us to understand. The the author of Hebrews doesn't want us to, doesn't write to cause us to question our salvation. That's not why he wrote those warnings last week. He writes his letters so that we may have assurance. But specifically, he wants us to ground our assurance, not in ourselves, not in our actions, not in our resources. But rather, he wants our assurance to be anchored in God and his word. God wants us to be safe and secure in his love. I was really blessed a couple of weeks ago when Pastor Kyle preached on chapter four and he showed us how Jesus, our high priest, offers us a better sympathy. And we learned so much of that sympathy last week in nine through 12, but we're going to really see that sympathy today um, in verses 13 through 20. To borrow from Psalm 103, verse 14, he knows how we are formed. Our priest remembers that we are dust. And so he understands the struggles we have. We don't, When we have a great high priest like that, he knows the difficulty of our lives. He doesn't say, yeah, you think your life is hard? Look at my life. That's not the priest we have. He knows our faith is weak. He is a great high priest who cares for us and who desires to strengthen us again the author wants us to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises and so he sets before us a person to imitate Abraham we're going to read our sermon text from uh, verses 13 through 20 but I want to back up to verse 11 so that we can get a running start at it this is God's word in which it is possible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, this is God's word. So to back up, um, we talked last week at the beginning about how uh, the author is going to begin to talk about Jesus, uh, the priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he says we have many things to say um, um, and um, um, about this. We have much to say. Uh, and but then he paused and he said, But it's hard because your dullness of hear, your of your dullness of hearing and your sluggish. And so we have that warning. This is the end of the assurance, and then next week we will begin that discussion, that extended discussion of Jesus as priest after the order of Melchizedek. So the first thing I'd like for us to see in our text in verses thirteen through eighteen is our assurance is rooted in in God's promise our assurance is rooted in God's promise we have this example set before us Abraham who waited patiently and obtained the promise <clears throat> but Abraham isn't held out as an example like go be like Abraham instead the message here is go be assured the way Abraham was assured Let's take a brief tour of the life of Abraham, going back to Genesis chapter 12, where um, allergies. Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abraham and he offers him a promise, right? Go to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham is interrupted, called by God, and he's given this promise. And so Abraham obeys. He goes. It's a simple thing. He just, he went. Fast forward Ten years later, to Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham again. And in 15.1, he says, fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So Abraham had 10 years to chew on these promises of God. What does Abraham say? Basically, God, what a value can you give me? I'm 85 years old now. I don't have much longer and whatever you give me, I'm going to have to give my servant because you told me you're going to make a great nation of me, but I don't have any children. I still don't have any children. And so I'm going to have to give it to my servant. What could God possibly do for me? And whatever he could do for me is getting less and less by the day because our clocks are ticking. Nevertheless, Abraham displays patience. But God tells him, no, your very own son shall be your heir. Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able, so shall your offspring be. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. But Abram says, oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And so God tells him, bring me a heifer, bring me a female goat, bring me a ram, a turtle dove and a pigeon, Well, evidently, Abram knew what this was for. This is what happens when people enter into a covenant. They cut these large animals in half, and then they put dead birds on either side of of the line. So there's an aisle between them. And... people who enter into the covenant pass in between these animals as if to say if I don't fulfill my covenant what may um, uh, may what has happened to these animals happen to me may I be flayed just like these animals and may you pass between my dead body it's called a self-maledictory oath and so Abram does this Abram cuts the cuts the animals but then nothing happens And so in patience, as Abraham's got these animals cut, the birds of prey are coming down trying to steal it away. And Abram, in faith, is just shooing them away. No, get out of here because God's going to do something. And so he shooes them away as he patiently awaits on the Lord. And as evening comes, God causes Abram to fall into a deep, deep sleep. And God spoke his promises to Abram. And he said, your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. Afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring judgment on that nation they serve and I will bring them back here to your offspring. I will give this land. So fast forward a couple of chapters in Genesis 17 and 18. God confirms again these promises to Abraham. Abraham. In chapter 17, God tells Abraham that the promise will come through Sarah. And they laugh. By now, Sarah is 90 years old. Abraham Abraham is 100. And God confirms the promise in chapter 18, saying that Sarah will have a son in a year. So then we get to chapter 22. And Isaac is born. Just like God said, they name him Isaac. Laughter. Laughter. Because Sarah laughed and said that any, everyone would laugh at the thought of this old lady having a baby. And then in Genesis 22, God tells Abraham to take his son, his only son, whom he loves, and offer him as a burnt offering of sacrifice. And so what does Abraham do? I love the text. He rises early the next morning, quick to obey he saddles his donkeys, he takes his son Isaac and two other men with him. He cuts the wood for the offering and he goes. And three days later, he sees the place where he is to offer his son. And what does Abraham say in 22.5? I and the boy will go over there and worship. And come again to you. And Isaac says, Father, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And he lays Isaac on the pile, raises his knife to slaughter his son. And the angel of the Lord stops him. Abraham, Abraham, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. And Abraham lifted his eyes and behold, a ram is caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham takes the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And the Lord spoke to Abraham in twenty-two, sixteen through 18 that we read about in our passage today. By myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of your enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because you have obeyed my voice. It's truly an amazing story. And the natural takeaway for this is to say or to preach, just believe. God will show up. That's the lesson here. Just believe. God will show up. So just be like Abraham and buckle down and believe like he did. But Abraham's faith is not rooted in himself. It's rooted in God's promises. His faith is rooted in, originated in, and is strengthened in God. God initiated the relationship. God gave the promises under no compulsion at all from Abraham. Abraham didn't go to this land looking for God. Here there's a new God. God called him and told him to go to this land. Abraham had many gods. He didn't come up with an idea. Hey, I know what I'll do. I'll get this God to bless me. God interrupted him in this polytheistic worship and blessed him with a promise. Abraham trusts him and goes, but nothing happens for 10 years. And then God reaffirms his promise with a covenant. But in this covenant, Abraham Abraham isn't even a part of the covenant. God made Abraham fall asleep. He doesn't walk between the pieces. God, who enters into this covenant with himself on Abram's behalf. God reaffirms the oath and tells him that in a year, Sarah will have a son and it comes true. And so when the time comes and God calls Abram to sacrifice his son, the one through whom this promise is going to come about, Abraham obeys. It seems unthinkable. But God has been building faith in Abraham for 25 years or longer now because Abraham Abraham is not a newborn. He's been building this faith in Abraham through a quarter of a century or more through his promises, his words, and his oaths. It's all God that's doing this. We may say, well, it sure seems like Genesis twenty-two in Genesis 20, Genesis twenty-two that God is rewarding Abraham for his faith, because He actually makes His promise that we read about in Hebrews because of Abraham's faith, and that's true. God rewarded Abraham for his patience and faith, as Pastor Tim prayed that God supplied. God went to great lengths to build this faith in Abraham. His faith was credited to him as righteousness, as our New Testament reading stated today. But I find this very encouraging. We've considered Abraham's faith, but if we really went back, it may have been strong there when he sacrificed Isaac, but it wasn't that strong for the previous 25 years. God told Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. But Abraham and Sarai go to Egypt before Pharaoh and Abram lies to Pharaoh saying yes Sarah is my sister so that they because Abram's afraid for his life that he'll kill him and and so he's willing to give up his wife he's willing to have his wife live with Pharaoh to save his own neck that doesn't sound like someone who confident believes that God will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you in Genesis 16, we see the big lapse of faith when Sarah convinces Abram to lay with Hagar because she's too old to have a child. And Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, and we've been dealing with that decision ever since. Did Abram trust God in that action? Not at all. In Genesis 20, Abraham and Sarah journey, journey again to the Negev and encounter King Abimelech, and they take Sarah. Pharaoh, part two, did Abraham learn his lesson and see that God blesses those who bless him and curses those who curse him? Not at all. He says, she is my sister. And then God appears to Abimelech and says, I'm going to strike you dead because you are taking another man's wife. And he goes, I didn't know. He goes, I know you didn't know. That's why I'm saving you right now. So Abimelech goes to Abraham and like, what are you doing? You're trying to bring curse on this entire land? Why did you lie to me and bring this sin on me and my kingdom? <clears throat> Abraham's perfect faith was not perfect by any stretch. But he learned patience and in faith. Instead of God withdrawing from him, he continued with him and strengthened him and helped him and upheld him by his righteous, omnipotent hand. Abraham's patience was based on God's word. God stooped down. He knew that man was weak. And not only did he speak to Abraham, he confirmed it with an oath. We take oaths when we're in court or when we get a driver's license That to, to say who we are. We promise that we are who we say we are. When we do that, we're acknowledging that we're responsible to someone greater than ourselves. If I'm lying, I know that I am responsible to God. For my lie, and he will judge me. That's what we're saying. But who is God going to swear by? No one's greater than God. So that in itself should have been enough. God could have said, I said it, that's it. End of story. I'm God, take my word for it. But instead, he stoops down. He condescends to us, and he takes an oath on himself. What does this have to do with us? Why do God's promises matter to us? Genesis three, 3 uh, Galatians three, twenty six through twenty nine. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many as you, uh, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's. Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. These promises are ours. They're ours. So does that mean I'm going to have a bunch of kids? My family's going to live 400 years in, the, in Egypt? I'm going to get land, but and I'm going to be the father of many nations? No. But Abraham didn't even enjoy those promises, Right? God's promises to Abraham were saying, this is, going to happen. this is what worldly is going to happen to you. But Abraham understood that these promises were far more than an earthly promise. There was a promise of heavenly rest that we read about in Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. And rather than land, he ultimately was looking to a city that is to come, a home that he may have for eternity, a heavenly city, as Hebrews 11 tells us. And he understood that these promises were tied to offspring, which is why the sacrifice of Isaac was such a big deal. How is any of this going to come true if I sacrifice my son through whom they come true? But he believed God and all of these promises, find their fulfillment in one offspring in Jesus Christ. As Tom Schreiner says, the promises to Abraham drive the storyline in all of scripture. For the promises made to Abraham are the vehicle by which the offspring of the woman will triumph over the serpent. Blessing is promised for the whole world through the offspring of Abraham. And the New Testament, of course, proclaims that Jesus Christ is the one through whom the stunning blessings granted to Abraham become a reality, and those stunning blessings are yours. And so these promises that are made to Abraham are ours in Christ. And we can have confidence that Abraham had by two unchangeable things, by God's word and by God's oath that these things will come to pass. As we read in our uh, our call to worship from from, uh, Revelation 22, those promises there It's future with, you know, that's just a vision of the future. No, that's a promise that reaches back in. That's a promise of the coming age that encourages us today, that gives us assurance today that God's word is true. We can have confidence in our refuge to which we have fled. We see that there in, um, in my eyes aren't seeing it. Oh, in uh, verse 18. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. What have we fled? What do we need a refuge for? What have we fled? I'm reminded of the cities of refuge that God instructed Moses to designate throughout the land into which they were going from Numbers 35, um, chapter 35, 9 through following. And so when they enter the land, when Israel enters the land, Joshua, what does he do? He sets up six cities of refuge throughout Israel in all parts of, of Israel where people could flee. If someone accidentally killed someone, the family of the dead could pursue the manslayer. The event they became the avenger of blood, and they could seek eye for eye, tooth for tooth, they could seek life for life. And so if if the if the father of the house, if the, if the, if the breadwinner was, was, uh, uh, was murdered by someone, then they could pursue that man in his life. And if the avenger of blood caught up with the manslayer, he could kill him. But if it was done without evil intent, if it was an accident, the manslayer could flee to a city of refuge to plead his case before the congregation there. And if the congregation ruled that this was an unintentional murder, the Avenger of Blood could not lay a hand on the manslayer. And he was declared innocent. And he could go back home and he could live safely as if nothing ever happened. We are the manslayer. We are constantly under pursuit by the enemy who seeks to destroy us by ensnaring us in sin. He reminds us of our failures and our rebellion. We are constantly under attack by the enemy. We are constantly being pursued. But we flee to our city of refuge, which is Christ. There we find forgiveness and comfort and assurance that our righteousness is in him. The old is gone the new has come. And when we come to our refuge, what do we hear? It is finished. The sin is paid for. Now turn from it and think with the mind of Christ. We have certainty of forgiveness when we flee to our refuge. We can have the benefit of the promises that we've already seen set before Abraham. And they're very strong and secure because they were made with an oath. Made by God himself. But we have promises as well. We have promises of God himself. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee, who is the deposit of our inheritance until we, rec- we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. That, that there. That is the same as I myself will do this. I myself will pass through these dead animals. He's saying, I'm giving you this. I'm sealing you with the promised Holy Spirit. Not because of anything you've done. Why am I doing it? For the praise of my glory. I am am tying up my glory in saving you, O wretched sinner. And why would I cause you to doubt that? I want to give you assurance because I am more and more glorified as I save you. When you heard the word of truth and you believed, you were sealed. You were authenticated with the promised Holy Spirit. Again, this doesn't happen on your own. These things are spiritually discerned. God caused, God compelled you to believe This was God's initiated action, not yours. He gave you the promised Holy Spirit. Well, wait, when did He promise it? Ezekiel 36, 27 through 29. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your forefathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. Jesus also promised the Holy Spirit, the helper in John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled Neither let them be afraid. Do we experience the mind of Christ and the peace that passes all understanding perfectly? No, we don't. Because we've just been given a down payment. We don't have fully, we won't fully feel that assurance until we're in his presence. But how do we make this jive with the warnings that we saw last week? We give evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in us and proof of the power of the coming age in this life here. In the coming age, we will be made perfect. But now we hear these warnings that we read about last week. We hear them. and We don't dally. We don't blow them off and think, oh, yeah, those warnings, yeah, they don't apply to me. I'm I'm secure. I've got assurance in Christ. It's not that bad. I'm not falling away there are excuses and logical reasons for all that i'm doing besides it really doesn't matter because jesus paid for it all no we flee to christ for a refuge we don't trust in extenuating circumstances we find our assurance and our hope in christ alone and why do we hold fast we hold fast because god's promises are sure and certain his promise to strengthen us is what we rely on and what we bank on to be strong, to have faith in the comfort of his promised Holy Spirit as a deposit goes even farther than that. I don't think this is the main focus of that Ephesians 1:14 promise. But given God's self-maledictory oath uh, in Genesis 15, I feel like I'm in firm ground saying this. I once heard Vodi Bakum preach on Genesis and on um, Ephesians 1 and he talks about God giving himself as a deposit to our inheritance. If you lose if you fail to deliver on something, what happens to your deposit? You lose your deposit. And so God has given us his holy spirit as a deposit. So God is is so intent to give assurance to his people that he's willing to put himself down as a deposit. That's a firm foundation we have. You hear all the text from our songs and our titles and and, uh, verses in our hymns today, all woven through this. But believe it or not, we have a greater reason for hope than Abraham did. We have a greater reason for hope than Abraham did. And that's our second point. Our hope is anchored by God's priest. Our hope is anchored by God's priest. Abraham had hope. We have hope personified. We have the Melchizedekian high priest, Jesus Christ. God's promises were made to Abraham before the law was given, as we read in Romans 4. And we have seen and read throughout the Old Testament of the blessings of obedience and curses of disobedience based on that law. And so we may think, well, we have more reason to be hesitant and reluctant to believe God's promises than Abraham did because of our sin. God's, uh, Abraham had confidence because the law wasn't given. But now the law is given and now we've got this burden on us that Abraham didn't have. But we see that God initiated the sacrificial system so that we may be restored. So that God may dwell with his people and his people with their God. With the priest atoning for their sin. Abraham was visited by God. But then God made a way so that he may dwell with his people and his people may dwell with him. God dwelled with Israel. But we have a much greater high priest. The Melchizedekian high priest. Without beginning or end, who once and for all paid for our sin and who freely and fully restored us to himself. We're just now waiting on the final consummation of that work. But we are fearful. We're afraid of falling away. We're leery of drifting away, lulled by lust or pride or greed or sluggishness or stuff or comfort or ease or difficulty. We're we feel like the pilgrim. We're walking through these difficult, difficult times of life. This is a real concern for us. The truth is, we just want to get safely home. We don't want to stick our necks out too far. We've all been given different, been given different measures of faith, and we just don't want to lose what we've got. It's like the parable of the talents. We're at some level fearful that God will be revealed as a harsh, cruel master who somehow, through some unforeseen loophole, will snatch away our promise away from us. And we know He could do it because He's God. In truth be known, that there's far enough sin in us, far than or more, more than enough sin in us to justify Him doing that. But this isn't the God who we've encountered today, is it? Not at all. We have a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul an anchor of hope and our anchor of hope isn't just dug into the mud into the ground to keep us from roaming or drifting drifting away to just keep us where we are no our anchor is fixed in the holy place behind the curtain our anchor is fixed in the presence of god our anchor isn't some inanimate object that god has given us our anchor is Jesus, God himself, our great high priest who doesn't, who doesn't enter into the holy of holies once every year. He is God and he dwells in the presence of God. He is our forerunner, which means that we can go before, we can go after him. He runs before us and we can follow him there. The anchor that we have of our hope draws us heavenward. It doesn't keep us where we are, it draws us heavenward. We have access. Our hope in Christ brings us in contact with God. And so we, as we sang a couple of weeks ago, our souls can arise and shake off the guilty fears. We are purified. Our great Melchizedekian high priest has atoned for our sins so that we may enter God's presence fully, joyfully, and boldly today. As we saw in in Hebrews four fourteen through sixteen, we have a great high priest who not only has atoned for our sin, but who sympathizes with our weaknesses and paid for them. And he gives us strength that we need to faithfully and patiently wait on the Lord. Let me read this from four fourteen. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is a promise to you. This is a hope achieved in the holy presence of God. In your struggle with assurance, where do you look? When you, when you feel threatened, when you, when, you are, when a sermon text causes, or when you're reading the Bible and it causes you to doubt, and you're seeking assurance, where do you turn? In our struggles with assurance, we ultimately are not called to look to ourselves, nor our resources, nor our track record, nor what our family says about us, nor what our friends or church members say about us. Instead, we are to remember God's unchangeable promises and the one who makes those promises a reality, Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 He who calls you, he who called you, is faithful and he will surely do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the warnings that we receive in Scripture. We thank You that it gives us pause and that we seek to examine our own lives. We thank You for the opportunity to confidently and vulnerably examine our lives. We thank You for the gift of brothers and sisters in this church who encourage us and who offer us another window into our souls so that we may truly see things as they really are. And Father, we thank you for this gift, not because it leads us to try harder, but it leads us to see where our anchor is. It leads us to see where our hope is. It leads us to see where our confidence is. And Father, we thank you for your certain promises that find their yes and amen in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that as we have our sin revealed to us that we can flee to you, our city of refuge, our Lord Jesus. And we can find help. We can find comfort. We can find strength to continue. Strength to wait patiently, and hopefully for the return of our Lord. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.